This evening I'd like to do what I intended to do last week <laughs> and read from another source just as a, a little varying it up as an introduction and then I'd like come back to that book later which we've already been referencing. So um, I'm partly saying that out loud so I don't forget because I forgot last week. <laughs> I still read it to you but I think it'll be nice to do this first. So of course we're studying with Thomas Watson the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. We're focusing on the second part of it, deliver us from evil. Last week uh, we began the section that studies things that are specially in mind when we pray that. We first studied the section that what do we generally pray for in that, and that is delivers from the evil of sin itself. We took a look at how evil it really is, that we would so want to be delivered of it more than affliction and other things, right? Most recently, uh, you know, we studied uh, sinning of Christians is worse than the world and the wicked. Uh, again, we studied last week the specific things we're praying in Deliver Us From Evil. And those three things, he kind of adds something at the end, but are Deliver Us From Our Own Evil Hearts. And that's what we focused on last week. Uh, tonight, we're going to study and we'll complete, it's a short section, um, Deliver Us From The Evil One, that is Satan. And then the next thing, which will require a couple weeks, is Deliver Us From This Evil World. That's how he closes. I, I, I will probably bring you a, an appendix, appendix or two to finish the study with a few chapters from this book I'm going to read to you now that are particularly encouraging, I think. And I think I'd like to reflect a little bit from some of Pastor Bell's messages on knowing our enemy. I've referenced them a little bit, but I haven't had opportunity to go back and listen uh, through most of them yet, and I'd like to do that for my own benefit, and I, I like to use this kind of a study to make me do that. Uh, I figure it's a better chance I'll get to it now, <laughs> similar to why I'm reading this book. Anyways, that being said, we're studying the last petition of the Lord's Prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're focusing on delivering us from evil, especially last week from our own evil heart, which is really the issue because what comes next, the world and Satan, they can't do anything to us if we don't let them right? It's our evil heart. That's the always thing to keep in view first. But that being the case, we're going to study now. The second thing we pray specially is deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from Satan. And uh, I'd like to read for you a little bit from uh, a chapter by R. Kent Hughes in the book we've been looking at, Our Ancient Foe, Satan's History, Activity, and Ultimate Demise, uh, written by, well, put together by PNR Publishing, most of it is from lectures for one of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals uh, Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. Uh, there's a few extra chapters that were added. Most of it are lectures for that conference. And um, so there's different authors. And the first, what I want to share with you a little bit, just to set up our study with Thomas Watson. And then I'm going to come back to the book tonight uh, with two other authors, one of them Joel Beakey. Just a, just a few things that relate really well to this study tonight. Uh, rather than try to fit him in later. So just a few things from R. Kent Hughes. Uh, his chapter is called Deliver Us from the Evil One. So you can see it's very uh, relevant for tonight's study. Deliver us from the evil one. It's the second thing we pray for in Deliver Us from Evil, specifically, especially. He writes this, the devil as the prince of the power of the air. He is, he's called the prince of the power of the air in the scriptures. That's what Paul calls him. Uh, in Revelation 20, verse 2, he's called the ancient serpent. Um, he's called the ruler of this world. John 12, verse 31. That 
struck me. You know, it's funny, we hear these things a lot, but it really hit me more directly. He is the ruler of this. This world we live in is ruled by Satan. And, and that's what he wants to drive home to us. Take seriously what we're praying and asking for. We are in a world that we're not of. Christ obviously is ruling over it all, but the scriptures say that Satan rules this world. I think as we look out and observe it, it's obvious, right? But we tend to have a rosy uh, view of things, especially with certain doctrines that prevail too much in Reformed theology these days. There's no antithesis anymore with the world. We've got to recognize Satan rules the world. Okay? And uh, uh, he's also called the prince of demons. Matthew 9, verse 34. And in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he's called the god of this world. The ruler of this world, the God of this world. And that ought to put a little bit of uh, putting our hair in the back of our neck to stand up a little bit and on our arms as we walk out there tonight, eh? Especially as we've entered October. You know, I was disappointed with uh, one of our Christian schooling environments. We were asked to speak with Gabriel because he was telling the other kids that Halloween isn't right. You shouldn't be doing that as Christian. And, you know, we are trying to help him know the proper context and time, but I appreciate my wife was not really wanting him to soften down too much, you know, <laughs> and I was like, well, we got to, but it's amazing to me in that kind of context that Halloween has to even be discussed as, you know, I mean, what, what about the scripture, no appearance of evil, right, and when you drive home tonight, I'm going to drive by all kinds of nasty stuff already, the kinds of things we've had to walk by in Costco and Home Depot for months already, you know. I don't think we really need that much evidence that Satan rules and is the God of this world. And we need to recognize that and be sober about it. Okay, And that does apply to a lot of doctrines. I'm going to hold off going on preaching tangents for the moment. But um, Then he says this, again, R. Kent Hughes. Uh, I'll call on you in a moment, Isaac. Okay? Uh, Luther's magnificent term from a mighty fortress is our God. By the way, that psalm is... Pretty, that song is pretty much his version of Psalm 46. Almighty fortresses are God. Um, and by the way, I'm pretty sure ancient folk, our ancient folk comes from that. Um, he says, Luther's magnificent term from a mighty fortress is our God. He is the prince of darkness, grim. Grim means, well, that's really grim. That's really dark. That's really horrible. You know, uh, Isaac, is it a long question? I forgot to get the mic out. Uh, Okay, go real quick. this world if if God is the only God? Great question. Uh, so the way that it, it's written in my book here that reflects it is little g. False God. But in this case, he actually exists. He's the God of the world in terms of he is in authority over it. So there's a psalm, I think it's in the 80s, forgive me for... Um, you know, shooting at the hip here, so to speak. But there's a psalm that speaks of the uh, speaks of men as gods, but little g, uh, in the sense that they are in authority over others, and they are as gods in the sense of they have that kind of authority and power over others. Okay, 
So um, it's in that sense. It's not saying he's God big G. Okay. It's saying that he is, he is the one that's in charge of this world. He's over it. The Lord has allowed that. He's come down and he's, he's basically taken that from Adam in terms of the governance of the world by humanity. And that's what Christ comes as, our mediating prophet, priest, and king, which we're studying, right? In the, is it the larger catechism? Shorter, no, yeah, larger catechism on Christ the mediator, right? Christ takes that back. He has taken that from Satan. He's taken the world back. But the reality is he hasn't consummated that kingdom yet. He's not finished the job yet. He does that when he comes back. So, yeah, you're right. Satan is not God, big G. He is not God. There's only one true God. You're listening to Deuteronomy in the morning? Very well, my son. <laughs> um, he, it, it's, 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 it's reflecting and speaking to how he has a lot of power and he has a lot of influence. People are basically, well, like Second Timothy 2 says that people, we pray for people to be freed from Satan who holds them captive at his will. So it's as, it's as if he's God over them because he has power and influence over them if they're not in Christ. And if we are in Christ, he still has a lot of ability to try to trip us and hurt us and cause problems because he's, he's running the show here on earth, so to speak. Mike, please, microphone. <laughs> so everyone can hear you. Yeah. It's on now. So he's like the god of evil and like the god to the people who are like in his chains and stuff. Well, that's true too. I mean, people are essentially worshiping him if they're not worshiping God. Yeah. But he's not God. He's, there's only one true God. But remember, we studied Job last Lord's Day evening. He goes to God and says, let me at Job. He has to get permission. God gives him permission. And then look what Satan can do, right? He has his family die. He brings all kinds of horrible physical suffering upon him. He brings horrible advisors, including his wife, you know. So he can only do what God allows him to do. And when God says there and no further, he, you know, he, he, but in that sense, he has a lot of power and ability to, to do those kinds of things. Okay, good question. You're listening. Okay, if you're done... Uh, muffle the mic for now, please. Okay. Um, okay, so let me continue. Good question, Isaac. Uh, how do we know? But, but what's being emphasized here is let's not, you know, it's that balancing act. Let's not overly emphasize what Satan can do. And I, that's where I want to close with the study. Like, we're freed from Satan. God, we have power in Christ. But let's not take him too lightly, right? And by the way, he would love it if we take him too lightly. Then he has real influence masquerading as an angel of light, right? When he tricks us and makes us think what we're doing is for God. (laughs) You know, because we lie to ourselves all the time over that stuff. And we love to have him lie to us to persuade us to go ahead and do it, you know. Um, But that being said, also Ephesians 6 verse 12, Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against the rulers or the authorities of this world. We wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So, I mean, it's not just on this earth, it's in, it's in the realm, you know, it's in the atmosphere. I mean, there are demonic forces everywhere. And uh, we should be careful about that. We shouldn't be playing games, you know, letting Harry Potter books and movies come into our home. What if we should not be letting our kids mess around with Ouija boards. I mean, you know, those of us who are in Christ can't be gotten, but we can certainly have them ruin our lives and get others. You know, um, we've got to be so careful. And remember, when Christ comes to the earth, there's all this demonic activity happening. Why? Because they are running people's lives, including they are in people. And they're responding to Christ because they know he's the king and God of the world. And at some point, he's kicking them all out. But we've got to recognize, I mean, think of the man called Legion, 
right? He was running around naked in graveyards. They couldn't hold him down with chains. He was nuts. Jesus freed him from all that, but remember how many? They're called legion. Why? Thousands of demons were in him, thrown into the swine, which then threw themselves over the cliff and died. Let's not mess around, right? Let's not mess around. Go ahead, Abe. So, you, you said that how once we're with Christ and we have confessed our sins and God is in control of us. The Holy Spirit is. is in us. Right. Um, the devil can't make us not be Christians, right. but he can still tempt us. So my question is, um, there are some people who are who believe in Jesus and um, profess him as Lord, but then they get uh, influenced by the devil and bad people, and they fall and go away from the church. Are and, they and maybe still, openly deny it, right? Are dead. they... Are they still with Christ and be in heaven? Or well, I, here's here's the here's the real quick general answer to that. Although there's different aspects of it, uh, sometimes they say what is said in the New Testament. They left us because they were never with us. They were faking it. Okay. Um, uh, there's an article out there recently by someone. I forget which. I, don't know, I think I didn't end up pu- passing it on, but um, that's uh, oh yeah. One of, the, one of the scriptures that will scare you more than anything, I did put it on our Facebook page, and it's about some, it looked like they were leaders in the church and then proved they weren't. So it could be that they were never with Christ, right? Or it could be that they do have a major falling, they're lying to themselves, Satan gets them to believe they're out of Christ, but we don't know who God's elect are, and we don't give up on anyone, and we pray, and it may be that they're rescued out of the occult and things, and that they were fallen, and they were self-deceived. Because what does Second Timothy pray for? I think it's praying for Christians in that context. Pray for those that God would grant them the gift of repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth, who are held captive by the will of Satan, right? So I think in that sense... You know, I have not done direct exegesis or preached through that, but I, I have the sense just off the cuff that, you know, there may be some believers who have just gone astray and they're not really self-aware of who they are in Christ for the moment. They've, they're quite deluded and under a lot of his influence. Not control for the Christian, but influence, um, if that's helpful. And then some of them, um, well, I should answer this question. You didn't quite ask it. I was waiting for you to say it, but a Christian cannot lose their salvation. Okay, okay. That's, I was trying not to say that and let you finish, but that a Christian cannot lose his salvation because it's based on the Holy Spirit. It's based on election, right? And so remember Deuteronomy last week and uh, remember Tulip. That's the other thing entering into October we should focus on, the five solas, right? And Tulip, uh, perseverance of the saints, right? Uh, Jesus says, whomever the Father gives me, I don't lose one of them. He's the good shepherd of the sheep. But there are goats. Sometimes the goats can pretend, you know. So, okay, uh, what does he say? If I one of my sheep, I go out and get him. I bring him back, right? He specifically says, "I don't lose one of the sheep my father has given me." So, um, I, I want to keep great questions. Really appreciate it. Let me let me try to move so that I do get to Thomas Watson as well. <laughs> A few more things um, from R. Kent Hughes, but I, I really appreciate how you're engaging. He says this: "It is a vast, organized hierarchy." 
Satan and all the demons under him. You can think of like screw tape letters and some other things we've talked about. This present darkness, I think some of us have read, um, reflect this general idea in scripture that Satan is out there. He has enormous amount of influence and power over the world, especially. And he has a whole lot of people, a whole bunch of fallen angels serving him. You might remember the movie that we watched a little little while ago. I reflected in some sermons, Nefarious. And if you haven't seen it, I do recommend it. Abraham and Isaac said, it's like the whole study we're having, Dad. That's why I took a look at it. Um, He's talking about my master, my master, Satan, you know. (laughs) And he never denies God or the truth of things. He just, you know, they want to have control. So, um, and it was through possession of the guy, the the prison mate, and then later someone else, you know. So, um, that's fictional, but I I think it was pretty biblical with the kind of stuff that was in the movie. Mostly just a dialogue, almost entirely. Um, But just remember, there's a vast organized hierarchy. So when it talks about principalities, principalities in heavenly places, like there's a lot of wicked evilness out there. Truly running the world and trying to ruin your world as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, I don't think that churches take that seriously anymore. And I know I've shared this. I'm sure I shared it at some point in the study, but I almost tried not to, but it, I think it bears repeating in this context. I remember I was at Campus Crusade for Christ. It's now called Crew, I think, um, in Buffalo years ago. Buffalo State, now University. Well, I was actually at UB. We, we would go, they'd, they'd bring us from Buffalo State, the little, the little brother, over to the University of Buffalo and, uh, for their Thursday night studies. And we had Tuesday night studies. And I remember they did this skit, and one of the men is walking around, and he's pretending to be Satan and he's at a party and he goes in and out of these different conversations and he's he realizes nobody believes he exists and he's like hmm the whole gist of the story was excellent nobody believes I exist it's a whole lot easier to conquer people when they don't even think you exist so they're not trying to watch out for you right and then when you're so subtle remember in the book with thomas watson 21 subtleties of how he gets us we don't see it coming we'll look at the topic tonight a couple times he's angling like a fisherman he knows how to bait right get us to bite so um but he's got all these he's not um god he's not uh omnipotent he's not all-powerful he's not omniscient he's not all-knowing and here's the thing he's not omnipresent he can't be everywhere at the same time He's got tons of demons working for him. And we just need to take that seriously. And that, that's a lot of what we're looking at tonight. Deliver us from the evil one, including thinking about everybody working for him. Okay? Uh, R. Kent Hughes, in his, in his chapter, Deliver us, uh, Deliverance from the Evil One, also writes this. This is an intellectual, intelligent, wicked, angelic elite Though the devil can be only one place at a time, with his myriad of malignant spirits, he imitates, albeit imperfectly, God's omnipresence and omnipotence. He wants to be God. That's why he fell originally, right? That's how he got Adam and Eve to fall. The the consensus of scripture is that the world is the devil's world. 1 John 5.19 we know that we are, far, we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I'm quoting his version from his book. So again, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. The world, he writes, the world dominates from without, 
the flesh from within, and the devil from beyond. These are the terrible dynamics of spiritual death. A few other thoughts I'd like to read with you before we go directly to Thomas Watson's study. I'm now going to share a few things with you from Joel Beakey, Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. Preserving in Satan's Sieve. That's the name of his chapter of this book. Or excuse me, persevering, persevering in Satan's Sieve. So persevering within the context of knowing this is the devil's world. Until Christ comes back and consummates his kingdom, throws him in a lake of fire. Still has influence. He's chained, but he still has the influence. Okay, uh, He writes this. And, 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 and elders, I meant to have this be our devotion for the session meeting yesterday, but I plumb forgot. Uh, so I'm just going to give it to you now because I'm afraid I'll forget again. <laughs> so this is particularly for the elders, but please pray for us and our families. And uh, that's pretty much us who are here tonight <laughs> anyways, right? Okay. Uh, he writes this, Joel Beakey, Satan aims for leaders first and foremost. He says, I had a woman in my congregation who was on a plane and was sitting next to someone who was praying. After he was done, she said to him, I see you are a Christian. No, I'm not a Christian, the man replied. Oh, well, I thought you were praying. Well, I was praying to the devil. The devil? Why would you ever pray to the devil? I was praying that the devil would separate 30 pastors from their congregations and bring them to downfall this week in America. That's what he was praying on the airplane. Kind of convicts me. How much do people see us praying to Christ on an airplane? He is pretty committed. He's praying for 30 pastors to leave their churches and have a downfall in America that week. It's pretty specific too, isn't it? Whether or not Satan can answer that prayer, doesn't that, isn't that frightening? And again, remember what's out there. Pastor, she said afterward, as she recounted this incident to me, the most frightening thing was that he looked more earnest as he was praying than I feel in my prayers. You see, Joel Beakey writes, Satan wants to have us, and particularly us ministers, because of our past usefulness, our present position, and our potential value. If you are a church leader of any kind, or if you're involved in any ministry, even to your children, Satan wants you. He declares holy war, jihad, on those who serve Christ in his kingdom. Notice he says, even serving your children, mothers looking to homeschool or raise your kids in a Christian school in a Christian home, fathers trying to lead worship, there's a reason it's so difficult. Not just our own sinful hearts. Satan doesn't want any of that in your home. If he can destroy that in your home, easy pickings at church. No problem in the world. But leaders in family, church, and state, for Christ, he's after you. He will always be trying to bring you down. That's what you see in Revelation 12. And we just don't want to be naive about that. John, now he's writing Joel Beakey. John Calvin put it this way. The ministry is no pleasant occupation in which we may exercise ourselves agreeably and with delight of heart, but a hard and severe warfare 
with Satan from time to time, giving us as much trouble as he can and leaving no stone unturned to annoy us. Richard Baxter was even stronger, who said, Satan knows what a route he may make among the troops if the leaders fall before their eyes. He hath long tried that way of fighting, of smiting the shepherds, that he may scatter the flock. And so great hath been his success this way, that he will follow it on as far as he is able. Beaky goes on to write, the frightening truth about Satan is that he knows us. And that came in our earlier studies on temptation, right? Because this is kind of bringing it back around. It doesn't close the whole study, but this was so much of the opening of our study with temptation, right? Leads not to temptation. He writes, he observes our character moment by moment, and he knows our weaker points. That's the weakest points. He is watching us. He has his troops keeping track of things. He knows how to get us. He knows what we're so likely to give into. Okay. Uh, the thing, isn't it true in your life? Haven't you noticed that the things that you easily stumble over surface repeatedly? Satan keeps presenting them to you, and you often fall so easily that it's embarrassing. Now, I was going to save this for later, but so that I don't go back and forth and kill extra time. One of the things we'll study from Thomas Watson is that Satan angles for us. He's an angler. And that's one way of speaking about fishing, remember. He's an angler. And uh, so I wanted to connect Thomas Watson and this quote directly, but for sake of time, just hold on to this for when we get to Thomas Watson in a moment. Joel Beakey shares this personal story. Many summers ago, my son talked me into going fishing. I hadn't been fishing for 40 years. No sooner had I managed to cast my line into the fast-moving river before I reeled in a 15-inch long walleye. It was great. I pulled it in and thought, wow, I'm going to catch a lot of fish. Other fishermen commented, you caught a walleye in this river? What did you use? Implying people don't catch walleye in this river normally. A worm, I said. (laughs) I can relate to Beaky in this issue of how I fish, but okay, and how often. Uh, and son's getting me to finally fish after 40 years or something like that. He, he, a worm. You caught a walleye with just a measly worm? You don't fish for walleyes with a worm, you see. That's not how you catch walleyes. And he says the point, you see, is that the walleye doesn't normally allow himself to be caught by a little worm. Yet this one stumbled so easily. We sometimes do the same in our weakness. We stumble over measly little worms. My friend, may I warn you in the words of Jesus today, Simon, Simon, behold, don't eat the little worms of this world in the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for bearing with me here. Uh, I have some more quotes. They might all be for later after Thomas Watson, but let me just double check. They're all worth it. Okay. Please remind me to come back. I don't think I'll forget to close with. Um, The rest of Beaky uh, will be encouraging. The book's kind of reminding us. All that being said, we have the victory in Christ. So I definitely want to end with that. And I'm going to end the whole study when we get there. That's what my plan is. With an unbelievably lovely article by uh, uh, Sinclair Ferguson that closes the book. 
And I just finished the day. I'm like, I really want to give it to you now. I really want to give it to you in a sermon. But I think in this case, it, I'd be danger of plagiarism because I'd almost just quote his whole chapter. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but remind, well, I better keep it here so I don't forget. I'm going to close with a little bit more from that book. But now let's go to Thomas Watson directly. And it is a, it is a short section of, of this part of his study. So again, what do we specially pray for? Deliver us from evil. First, the evil of our heart. And tonight, deliver us from the evil one himself. Okay. In this petition, deliver us from evil. We pray to be delivered from the evil of Satan. He is the wicked one. According to Matthew thirteen nineteen. he's the wicked one. He was the first inventor of evil. He plotted the first treason. John eight forty four. His inclination is only to evil. Ephesians 6, 12. That's the thing we got to remember. He always makes it sound good, right, to Ab and Eve. But his inclination is only to make you do evil and for your evil, not your good. I mean, it's scary to think about, isn't it? Like he's out there running this place and he is, wants evil for you. Just imagine if you knew there was somebody out there with a real person with a name and the thing they focused their entire existence to was your evil. Well, there is Satan. Deliver us from him, we pray. Uh, Next, Watson points out his constant practice is doing evil. 1 Peter 5.8, we've gone there a lot. He's a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. But he's constantly doing evil. Uh, He has some hand, I'm quoting Watson, he has some hand in all the evils and mischiefs that fall out in this world. You know, people say, oh, why is this happening? Well, number one, because of sin. We're in a fallen world, right? Because of original sin. And also, because of Satan, who got them to do the original sin, that is, tempted them and they gave into it, and he's working it all out now. He's He's using it, right? Satan. People don't believe there is Satan most of the time out there. Uh, unless they're worshiping him direct, deliberately, right? Uh, he has some hand in all the evils. Uh, he hinders from good. That's the other thing. He hinders from good, and he quotes Zechariah 3, verse 1. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Now remember, Joshua and Zerubbabel are the two main characters. Spoken of in Zechariah 4, we know that God completes the temple. He's holding the plumb line. He puts the capstone. As far as he's concerned, the rebuilding of the temple that's been destroyed, the building of the second temple, it's done as far as he's concerned, right? And the prophets are preaching to them, like Zechariah, uh, to encourage them to get back to the business of building up the temple, right? Um, And Joshua's one of the key characters, the, the priest. And yet, what do we see? It says that Satan is there resisting his work. And beloved session and deacons, you know, and all of you serving the church, but especially the leadership, in light of what's been said earlier, the leadership, clearly, Satan is resisting everything you try to do for him. It's never going to be easy. If it is, you're probably doing something that he likes, right? It's always going to be difficult if you're really trying to build for Jesus on the rock, the narrow way, the old paths, the right rule, it will always face resistance until heaven. And I think that that's helpful to be reminded of. Um, 
He provokes to evil. Thomas Watson points out, he provokes to evil. He put it, this is scary, listen to this. He put it into Ananias' heart to lie. In Acts 5 verse 3, Peter says, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? How scary is that? He put a lie in Ananias' heart. And what happened to him? They carried him out of the church dead. They dragged him by the feet. Because it was the foundation of the church, similar to in the Old Testament with what happened with the strange unprescribed fire, right? Regular principle. I'll try not to get into that directly tonight. But um, Nadab and Abihu, right? In Leviticus. I want to say chapter 10. Um, they get burned up by God. Foundation of the church. So in the New Testament, foundation of the church can't be, can't be founded on lies. That's Satan, the father of lies. So God makes a really clear thing here. Look, Peter says, why are you lying about what you're donating to the church? It was your land. You had the right to keep it or sell it, give whatever you want. It wasn't a tithing. It was a cheerful extra giving thing. But he lied. He gave the impression to everyone that he gave more than he did. And then his wife comes in later, right? Sapphira. How much? She lies too. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit kills her too. And they drag her out just like her husband as they, Peter tells her that's what's going to happen. But who put the lie there? And guys, liars won't be in heaven, right? That's one of the things. Habitual liars won't be in heaven. That's scary, right? But who puts the lie there? The father of lies. But he put it in his heart. That's scary. I don't even know how to explain that exactly without looking at it more closely. But let's notice, they ended up dead and God killed them. But who put it there? The devil put it in their heart. He provokes to evil. Watson writes this, the devil blows the fire of lust and strife. Okay, well that's pointing back to this first specific thing we pray. Deliver us from the evil of our own heart, right? But if we're not praying the Lord to put the Holy Spirit water on that and put it out, Satan's right there. You know, like the campfire boys where you try to get the campfire going. They watch all these outdoor boys videos. You know, There's all these different ways to try to start a little fire. But what do they first do? Then, big huge fire, right? Satan is there to blow on the fire of lust and strife in your hearts. And of course, within the, in the church, when there's strife, you know, he's there blowing it, putting ideas in our heads, right? We choose to do them. We choose what we think about, what we do, what we don't do, what we say. But he's there. The word Satan in the Hebrew signifies an opponent or adversary. Now, remember, we need to always recognize we shouldn't be surprised. Satan is constantly resisting church, especially the churches that are seeking to try to serve him with Puritan spirits. Not because we're perfect, especially because he knows he can nail us at our imperfection, but he doesn't want to see people have a heart for reform and revival in worship and governance of the church and state, not just doctrine. You might argue, have whatever doctrine you want, just don't let it be real in your life, right? You know, He's there fighting. So we should never think that church as a whole, guys, is going to be easy. It's never going to be easy to grow the church. And as the Lord would let us grow, it'll be harder in some ways because there'll be all kinds of people that need to be discipled in things they don't want to do. And pray in the Lord, bring in spirit. Some of them will. There'll be others that will fight it. And whether they're satanic or not, the fight behind it is Satan. We need to recognize that. We need to be ready for it and then not be surprised by it. And pray, 
not only for each of us individually, but as a church and for Christ's church, visible, uh, militant. Pray, deliver us, your church, from the evil one. Uh, Watson writes this, he is a restless adversary. He never sleeps. First Peter 5 verse 8, isn't that scary? I don't know, maybe that's where some of those crazy dreams come, you know? Uh, people tend to want to think dreams are from the Lord. Uh, we believe that these things have ceased. Especially when you hear about the certain dreams, it sounds more like Satan to me. You know, like, I mean, he doesn't sleep, but we do. What is he whispering in our ears even as we sleep? Satan is a mighty adversary. Luke eleven twenty one. he is called the strong man. He's called the strong man. 2 Timothy 2.26, once again, uh, we're to pray for those who are taken captive by him at his will. He writes this, the devil's work is to angle for men's souls. Now that's the fishing thing again, right? And he has brought this idea up earlier. We've looked at it, but let's just review briefly. How do you catch fish? I mean, I think sometimes all you need is a bear hook, but usually with some nice looking stuff that smells good to you and tastes good to you and shiny and sparkles and looks playful and hides the hook. And you don't think about the line or see it, nor the pole it's attached to and the person holding it. Satan is fishing for us. He's fishing for us. And as you recall, he knows the bait you like the best. He knows, this is what Watson says earlier, he knows what will you bite on the easiest. He knows. Or he knows, you're going to bite this worm today because you just don't see it coming. It's just a worm. I'm a, right? You know, and he gets you by the cheek and he reels you in and does all kind of damage. Right? He's fishing for us. He writes this too, and uh, this is the last part of Watson's study tonight, Deliver Us from the Evil One. I'll go back to the other book just for a few closing thoughts. He says this, Satan tempts men to Delilah's lap to keep them from Abraham's bosom. Let me repeat that again. Satan tempts, he says he, but he's referring to Satan. He tempts men to Delilah's lap to keep them from Abraham's bosom. Now he's alluding, expecting we know what he's talking about. Samson and all his strength, he ultimately was captured because Delilah, he just couldn't say no to Delilah. And frankly, all the sexual seduction and all that kind of comfort and interest. And eventually, she is always trying to get him to be taken by the Philistines and eventually does. They pluck his eyes out. He eventually gains his strength as he's a slave pushing around the millstone. The Lord gives him strength. And in God's ultimate providence, as we're studying in the Westminster Confession, chapter 5, sections 4 and 5, but particularly section 4, uh, where we were, why do all these things happen? How does God use them? If he is providential, well, Satan ultimately is used by God in that place to push the pillars and destroy the Colosseum, if you will, this area, and kill many Philistines in one day, but including Philistines, including himself. Perhaps it could have happened another way. Think of all those amazing, powerful stories, right? Uh, Delilah, and it's not to say that, I don't think he's saying that Samson is not in Abraham's bosom in heaven, truly. But I think that uh, the, the enjoyment of it in this earth, right? 
He tempts men to Delilah's lap to keep them from Abraham's bosom. I want to close with a few more thoughts, but more positively, because, again, as I, as I mentioned to you the other night, if you go out of here dragging your hands on the ground, woe is me, I might as well just dig myself a hole in the dirt and die, that you're missing the whole point. The point is to make us take seriously and pray fervently and without ceasing, deliver me from evil. Lead me not to temptation and deliver me from evil, my own evil heart. And as we study tonight, and from the evil one, who knows how to speak to my evil heart, right? Uh, But we have victory over him. We're being given a prayer of victory. We're being given a prayer of how to fight and be more than conquerors, okay? So we don't want to go away uh, thinking we're um, victims. We don't want to go away with a victim mentality. We don't want to go away with a... Well, why even bother and try? No, we are being told by Christ. That's the end of his prayer before you just give God glory. Is pray, protect me from the evil one. Let me share a few things with you to encourage you toward that. Uh, with all of that heavy stuff again. He, uh, this is uh, Joel Beakey also in his, uh, in his chapter, Persevering in Satan's Sieve. So recognizing what we've talked about that he set the stage for, but persevering. Because what is P? In tulip, Abraham, especially considering your question tonight. What is P in tulip? Perseverance of the saints. Yes. Okay, which is definitely God preserving us, but contrary to some who would qualify it, it's emphasizing that we persevere to the end. Uh, in our ancient foe, uh, Beaky writes this, Romans eight twenty eight. all things work together for the good of them that love God, those who are the called according to his purpose, right? He writes, even Satan's attempts to destroy us will be used to help us along in our spiritual maturation. This is our comfort, that Christ out-desires, out-demands, and out-prays Satan. And he's talking about how Jesus told Peter, I've prayed for you. Satan asked to have you, and we, but I prayed for you. So you're going to come through this. You're going you're gonna to give in, but you're going to come through this. And then we remember John 17. Jesus prayed for us in his high priestly prayer. And so Satan's always what? Accusing, accusing, accusing. But Jesus is always there advocating, advocating, advocating. And he's the son of God. He has all authority. He's God, big G, right, Isaac? He has all authority and power in heaven and earth. The close of Matthew's gospel. So, uh, again, this is our comfort that Christ out-desires, out-demands, and out-prays Satan. And it isn't just his effort, it's his power, right? Okay, and then, and remember how all the demons serving Satan cowered in his presence on earth. They will again. Uh, He writes this, your divine advocate, Jesus, the ever-blessed Emmanuel, pleads for you on stronger grounds and with stronger claims than the devil's, so that your faith will not fail. That word for fail in the Greek is a wonderful word, which means to give out or to come to an end. It's where we get the English word eclipse. You know, eventually fully eclipse, it's gone. And uh, he's referring to a scripture. Let's see if I can. Uh... Oh, it's when he says to Peter, I prayed for you, I think, that your faith would not fail. Your faith will not be eclipsed by Satan. Uh, and uh, Jesus has stronger grounds. It won't happen. Let me read something else for you. And uh, I, I did want to include this tonight, hoping some of our brethren who have to be at home at now due to a loved one in hospice, I'm thinking especially for him, 
Hopefully he can hear this. Um, he, uh, Biki shares this story. Ebenezer Erskine, an elderly minister who was one of the fathers of the secession movement in Scotland, once visited a woman in his congregation who was dying. In those days, because remember, before I continue, what we learned, I think it was last time, uh, certainly we saw it with Job, is uh, uh, Satan will attack us, especially at our deathbed, with doubt and despair. Uh, so uh, Ebenezer Erskine excuse me, once visited a woman in his congregation who was dying. In those days, pastors often lovingly tested their own people, even when their health was failing. So Erskine said to her, my friend, are you ready to die? Oh yes, I'm ready to go. On what grounds are you ready to go? Well, I'm in the hands of Christ. But aren't you afraid you will fall through his fingers? Oh, not at all. Why not? And of course, he's pastorally making sure and and leading her to this. And her answer is, why am I not afraid that I won't fall through the fingers of Christ? What a glorious answer. And you can tell she gave herself to the music grace all her life. Her answer is this. Because of what you told us, Pastor, you said that we are part of his body. We are his finger. So how can we fall through? Yeah, thanks for bearing with me. I wanted to give you that tonight. And our brethren, I trust, likely listening later on Sermon Audio, I want them to get that. He says, Jesus doesn't say to Peter, if thou art, but when thou art, when thou art restored, right? Not if, but when. Okay. Um, Let me see. Okay. I am going to read for you just uh, two little quotes from the next article, in the, the next chapter in this book, and then we'll close. This is called The Final Demise. So while it's studying the seriousness of our ancient foe, it's making sure to close with courage and confidence in Christ, our victor, uh, and our victory. So this is from the, art, the chapter, The Final Demi- Demise, by Thomas J. Nettles. And his scripture he's referencing is Revelation 21 to 3 and 7 through 10. I'm only going to share a few quotes. He says, there was never a time when Christ was not obedient. This is why he can give us his righteousness and the reward of eternal life. But remember that, as I think it was Jay Gresham Mason said in a, in a telegram uh, to John Murray, I'm so thankful for the act of obedience of Christ when he was at his deathbed, not expecting it traveling in the Midwest. His confidence facing death was, I'm so thankful for the act of obedience of Christ. Hear this, there was never a time when Christ was not obedient. As you think at your deathbed, how often you were never perfectly obedient. Yes, but you're in Christ and with Christ, and there's never a time when he wasn't. Then he, then he writes this, uh, Thomas J. Nettles. The more you are plunged into the will of God, the more you are plunged into the resistance. Into resistance against Satan. Let me read that again since I stumbled. The more you are plunged into the will of God, the more you are plunged into, the resi- into resistance against Satan. The closer you are to God, the deeper you go with God, the more you will be resisting Satan naturally, uh, and also the more he'll be giving you a reasons for more aggressive resistance. Uh, and then lastly, and we'll close with this, thanks for hanging in there with me, uh, Thomas J. Nettles. We no longer lie at the disposal of Satan. Placidly 
in his arms uh, to do with us as he sees fit. And while we need to again recognize our ancient foe and be sober and wise about all these things, we need to recognize we have the victory in Christ. And let me read that because I stumbled in that in terms of how I said it. I want you to hear the full meaning by reading it more accurately. We no longer lie at the disposal of Satan. Placidly in his arms do with us as he see fits. Oh, excuse me, to do. Okay, that's why I think I'm getting tired. Let me try one more time. I'm going to trust that this is God's providence to emphasize by having to repeat. We no longer lie at the disposal of Satan. Placidly in his arms to do with as he sees fit. I finally said it right. Now let me say it one more time correctly. We no longer lie at the disposal of Satan. Placidly in his arms to do with as he sees fit. We're in the arms of Christ. We are the fingers of Christ. Before we close in prayer, if you'll bear with me, I, I wanted to go here in the sermon on Job Lord's Day evening, I didn't because 1 Corinthians 15 said most of what I was thinking about, but I think it bears uh, going to Romans 8. If you want to turn there with me. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to start at the end of Romans 7, and I'm just going to read and then close in prayer. Romans 7, Paul is lamenting what I want to do, I don't do. What I what I don't want to do, I do. And then he says, Romans seven twenty four, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So he's recognizing this difficulty of our own evil hearts. And then, of course, you know, we understand tonight we've got Satan there wanting to influence us. But then he goes into chapter 8. That being said, chapter 8, right? Don't stop with chapter 7, even the end of chapter 7. There are therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And I want to ask you to turn ahead with me. You know, it talks about adoption. The Spirit confirms to our spirits uh, that we are the sons of God. Even when, when we pray and we don't know what to say, the Spirit groans for us. In words we don't understand, but the Holy Spirit brings it to God, and God does understand and accepts it. All these glorious encouragements. Uh, let me go ahead and start with verse 28. Romans eight twenty-eight to the end. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Before I continue, I want to remind you, we're in now chapter 5 of the Confession of Faith, Faith on Providence, section 5. How does God allow and use especially our sins? And it's a very, and we've gone to it several times in this study, um, but as there's many weeks and it's been much removed from one another, always go back to that. Nothing uh, is actually working against you. Even your own sins, God works for your own good. It's not an excuse to sin. Paul says in chapter six, God forbid, right? (laughs) But just to be encouraged uh, to pray this prayer not to give up praying it and giving up serving, right? Okay, verse 29. Let me start with verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. You see, the order de salutis, there's no breaking the chain of salvation. This is another scripture I wanted to go to in the sermon recently on election from Deuteronomy. Just to show you, I do actually try to edit things out and not go too, too long. But that was a hard one. I wanted to go here too. You know, there's just so many scriptures. Verse 31. What shall we say? What shall we then say to these things? Now keep chapter 7 again in view. If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And you might ask the question as it's related tonight behind all those things. Shall Satan separate us from the love of God in Christ? Verse 37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. Satan's a creature, and of course, think about height, the prince of the principalities of this world. Not even him shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So as I said last week, if you're planning to go out there and give up, come here, I'm going to hit you on the head. Boom. Stop it. You're not thinking right. Pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray. Deliver us from evil. Pray. Deliver us from the evil one. Let us pray. Lord God in heaven, though we have our ancient foe, you are greater, Lord Jesus, You have saved us, and nothing can separate us from God in love through you. You have the victory. Satan doesn't do anything you don't give him an allowance to do. And as it relates to Christians, it is only to test us, to humble us, to make us more dependent upon you, to sin less, in fact. As we know from the Confession of Faith, chapter 5, section 5, and also of what Watson has discussed earlier. Yet, as Watson and these chapters of the other book, And the scriptures we've looked at tonight, we've got to recognize we have an adversary. He is out to kill us if he can get us to kill ourselves. He is out to put lies in our hearts. He is out to get us killed by someone else by getting us to put ourselves in the wrong place. He is out to destroy and kill the church. He wanted as the dragon to eat the Christ child. And since he cannot, he is continuing to try to eat the mother, the church, and all of her seed. Lord, we pray together. Using the means of grace, including prayer, we know. Praying as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtor. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.